Good morning. I'm going to dismiss the children to Children's Church now. And thank you to the uh, Children's Ministry, to the teachers and those who lead this ministry. We're super thankful for you. Our text today is um, Psalm 34. Uh, Psalm 34. And um, before we uh, read it, let me just uh, make a couple of comments. The first is, I was not planning on preaching on Psalm 34 um, last week. Um, my plan was to begin a series in the in the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians. Um, this this The first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, I think, really contains a lot of things for us to consider as we think about what does it mean for us to be a church? How should we approach uh, ministry? How should we approach each other? How should we approach the preaching of the gospel? We're going to begin that next week, but as Jeff mentioned, we're going to have a day of fasting and prayer this Wednesday. And I was uh, just asking God, um, what is it that our people need to hear? Um, what do you have to say to us through your word? And I, I was thinking, I was praying, and um, I think he led me to uh, Psalm 34. And I think that this psalm has something to say to us as we prepare for Wednesday, um, as we think about um, who am I as uh, a believer in Christ? What are we as a church? Where should we be headed? Um, some of these questions um, we have answers for, others we don't. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we need to fast and pray. So we're going to look at this psalm now, uh, Psalm 34. It's in your bulletin. If not, it's uh, behind me if you're following us online. Um, thanks for joining us. It's going to show up on your screen. So let's read the Word of God, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall not never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of God. And as we look at his word, my objective for us this morning is to see what this text says. Um, and take it to heart as we look ahead to the next few days. As, as Jeff mentioned, 
Wednesday is going to be a time for us to humble ourselves. It's going to be a time for us to pray and ask God to do a work in this church. And I said last week that we can make all the plans in the world. We can think about uh, the, the logistical um, details. We can think about all the resources that we need. We can think about where we want to be as a church. And these are good things for us to think about. But ultimately, these are the plans of man. What we need is direction from God. Our vision is limited. Our wisdom is limited. Our resources are limited. Our strength is limited. And what we need to do above all our planning is to trust God, ask him to direct us, to align ourselves with what he wants for this church. And we're looking at Psalm 34. There is a lot in this, in this psalm. There is um, so much richness in it. And I can go a number of directions with the text. Today I'm going to point out from the text four ways in which we should be thinking about how we approach God in these coming days. Uh, they're, they're not in your bulletin, but uh, there are four points to today's sermon. Number one, we approach God in every circumstance. We approach God in every circumstance. Number two, we approach God as a community. Number three, we approach God with confidence. And number four, we approach God in anticipation. So we approach him in every circumstance as a community with confidence and in anticipation. So... Uh, our, our first point, we approach God in every circumstance. A little bit of context for us as we look at Psalm 34. This is written by David when he was on the run from Saul. If you might remember, uh, years ago we did a long series in the books of First uh, and Second Samuel. And we talked about this, you probably don't remember because I don't remember talking about this. Um, but the context is David was on the run from King Saul. He was running for his life. And there was a point during his uh, running that he ran into the king of Gath. This is in the uh, for chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. And he pretended to go mad. And this is how he narrowly escaped being caught for this particular moment at least. And this psalm, along with another psalm, was written in response to what he experienced as he escaped narrowly with his life. And David begins the psalm with this declaration. He says... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So David is thinking about what he's gone through. And he is recognizing that God's hand was in his deliverance. And here he expresses his desire to worship God. And as we approach Wednesday, this should be where we begin. A desire to worship God with an attitude of humility when we recognize what God has done for us. So how do we approach God? Not with an agenda, but with a submissive posture. And here David says, I'm going to do this at all times. At all times, David says for himself, in worship, in nonstop praise, he says, I will bless the Lord. There is a resolve to what he's saying here. Now, what does it mean to bless the Lord? This is something that we say all the time. What does it mean? To express, to, to bless the Lord means to express your adoration of God, to recognize his character. And then this is articulated in how you live your life or what the things you say, how you treat other people. You will bless the Lord. This is how you tell God that he is great. And this is another term for worship, blessing the Lord. 
And we touched upon this, touched upon this a few weeks ago. Why does God want our worship? Why does God want our worship? Number one, the first reason is the best reason, which is simply because God is God, because he deserves it. It's not because he's insecure or because he's an egomaniac. But why does God tell us to worship him? He doesn't need anything from us, including our worship. But we do. We need to worship. We're all worshiping something. This is what we do every single day of our lives. We are all worshipers. It's just a question of what or who do you worship? We all show with our words and our time and attention what we think is worth giving our lives to. What, through your life, are you saying is worth giving your life to? Certain people, entertainment, a career, or our families, you are worshiping in some sense. And whatever we give ourselves to more than anything is what we worship. We are all worshipers. And here David is saying, one thing will I worship, one person will I worship, God, the Lord, So our problem is not that we don't worship, but that we don't know what or who we should worship often. We need to figure out what it is that we're worshiping, and is that thing worth worshiping? Because what we worship will determine everything in our lives. Who and what do you love? That is determined by who you worship. What do you give your attention to? How we look at our relationships or our jobs or our living situation. It's determined by who or what you worship. And ultimately, this will determine what you'll be doing beyond your life here on this earth. For all of eternity, what you worship is going to determine that. So it's really important to make sure that we're worshiping the right thing or the right person. And David knows This is who I will be worshiping. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. So along with David, indelible Grace Church, our first priority is to worship God. Like I said last week, our priority is not to build a church. Our priority is not to survive. Our priority is to worship God. Because it's only when we bless the Lord, when we praise Him, when we worship Him, that we will become the type of church that honors God. It's only if we worship God that this will be the type of church that's worth driving five minutes to get to. And this is the reason we must approach God in every circumstance. And this is what worship is for us. Worship is an act of reorientation, a reordering of what is most important in our lives. When you worship God, you're being reminded of the most fundamental truth of all of reality. You're reminding yourself of this, that God is God, that God has no rivals. When we worship God, when I worship God, what we're saying is this. We're saying, this is who you are, God. And who you are is what I am not. When we worship God, we're saying, God is God, and I recognize that. Therefore, worship is a submission to the truth that God is God. And this is exactly why we can bless the Lord at all times. Because 
Are you going to trust yourself in these difficult situations? Are you going to trust others in these difficult situations? Only God is worth our trust and our submission. Bless the Lord at all times. When we worship God, we recognize that wherever we are, whether it be on the mountaintop or the plateau or in the valley, that is where God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, has placed you. I was talking to someone um, a few days ago, and I was just telling them, I remember um, early 2020, our church was doing awesome. All the numbers were looking good um, by every metric. People engaged, uh, the number of members, the giving. We had ministries going or ministries starting up, small groups were starting. That was, I would say, a mountaintop experience for our church, at least in terms of numbers. And then what happened? The pandemic. And then what happened after that? If you remember the church, you know it was not fun. And then where are we now on the spectrum? Wherever we are, this is where the, God, where the Lord has placed us. For David, it was when he was on the run, when his life was on the line, devoid of creature comforts, uncertain about his fate. And yet he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. God is God, despite my situation. For you, it may be in the difficult marriage or the stress of your financial situation or the anxiety over family members or your failing health or when you're lying awake in bed at 2 a.m. crying because this is not the life that you wanted. For us as a church, it's in the uncertainty and anxiety of this season. It's seeing our friends leave the church. It's wondering why did things play out the way they did? And what will we respond with? In every circumstance, God was there. Not in any situation was God absent. Not only that, but in every single situation, God was continually working in your life. God was continually working in this church. In his love, in his wisdom, he has been doing a good work. And that is why we can continually praise him with our mouth. That is why David said this, I will continually praise him. We have a reason to bless him. We have a reason to sing. And it's especially in the difficult times that we have to worship him, especially when it's hard. I'm not saying that you have to feel like worshiping God. Very often, we don't feel like worshiping God. This is a truth. But I'm saying that despite whatever you're feeling, you have to turn to God and say, you are God, and I am not. My feelings are not God. My preferences are not God. My comfort is not God. God, you deserve my full attention right now, and I will still hold tight to you. Sometimes worship is opening your Bible when you have zero desire to open your Bible. It's saying, God, help me. And if that's all you can say, maybe that's an act of worship. 
As we continue in the psalm, it gives us more direction. Psalm 6, or verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. What is a cry? A cry is what comes out when you don't know what to say. If you have children, you know this. They don't have the words to express their sadness or anger or frustration. So what do they do? They cry. Or you might cry out with certain words, and it has to be with that whimper or that scream because you can't fully convey what you're feeling. You don't even know what you're feeling. David says, I will cry out. Sometimes we all we know is that something's not right and we can't figure it out on our own. And David speaks in the past tense. He says, the Lord heard and he saved me, past tense. David knows that God has acted in the past and he can and will act again on his behalf. This is recognizing the faithfulness of God. And the implication is that there is an ongoing relationship. The psalmist, David, he knows that God is faithful. Why? Not because he read it in a book. He knows that God is faithful because he's experienced it in his own life in the past. And how do we experience the faithfulness of God? By trusting God when things are difficult. In our lives, there will be many times when we won't be able to make sense of what's happening. And it's in those moments we can choose to trust ourselves or we can choose to trust God. And when we trust God, this is when we have an opportunity to see God work. Do you want to be able to sing with integrity that God is faithful? Then you have to hold on to him in the times when it seems like there's no reason to hold on to him. And this is why it's important to hold on to Jesus through every season of life. When we walk in the way of Jesus, when we follow him, he's going to lead us into troubles. And in these troubles, in these difficult times, this is where our souls are most shaped. In these difficult times, this is when this church will be most shaped. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, and I love the image that they gave us. They said, they, they said um, you're in the fire right now. You're being hammered on the crucible. It's in the fire. It's in the difficulty. It's in the pain that God is hammering away at you. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Because he loves Indelible Grace Church. One of the promises of Jesus is that in this world we'll have trouble. John 16. And it's in this trouble that God will show us who he is. And he will show us what we are not. And the moments when we choose to bless the Lord are the moments when our hearts are changed and our souls are shaped the most. One more verse I want to point out before I move on to the next point. Verse 18. We approach God in every circumstance because we know that he will embrace us when we admit our need for him. This is what David says, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In every circumstance, God is near. And this verse shows us the heart of God. And if you've been with us the past several weeks, this is what I've been saying over and over and over. What is the heart of God to us? What is God's heart toward 
you toward this church. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly smoldering wick he will not snuff out. God's heart is for those who realize that they have nothing left. Nothing left to hold on to. Nothing in themselves that can punch their way out of a situation. Nothing in their cleverness that can figure out a way out of the mess that they find themselves in. No hope in themselves, no confidence in people or organizations or chemicals that used to keep them going. All that's gone. And then you're brokenhearted. And then your spirit's crushed. This language here is so evocative. Brokenheartedness, a spirit crushed. Have you felt that before? Do you feel it now? Does our church feel it now? And in the next several days, keep this in mind, that when we fast, we're going to be made more aware of our weaknesses and of our dependence on the things that we take for granted. When we pray, we'll be reminded that there are so many things that we need, that our friends and our family need, that our church needs, and simply... There is no solution that we can provide from ourselves. There's simply nothing that we can provide on our own. And maybe in these coming days, maybe by the grace of God, our heart will be broken a little. A broken and contrite heart he will not despise, Psalm 51. This is God's heart for you. This is God's heart for our church in the coming days. To be ground to be brought low, and to learn to worship in those times. So that's the first point. We approach God at all times. Our second point, we approach God as a community. Uh, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I want to focus on these two words, two words in this verse, magnify and together. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? What does it mean to magnify God? When it comes to God, it means that we are putting a telescope on the vast character of who God is and what is God. I don't know if you guys have uh, followed the news, um, the James Webb Space Telescope. Have you seen the images from that? Um, 13 plus billion light years across, the sharpest images of the universe you've ever seen. And you can look at a small fragment of the, the, the picture. You can go online. I think it's on uh, the NASA website. And within each cluster, there are hundreds of billions of not just stars, but galaxies. And that's just a tiny part of the picture. You zoom out, and there are countless galaxies containing countless stars. And this is, the Bible says, these are but the fringes of who God is. God spoke that into existence, but this is a tiny, tiny portion of what God is and who, of what he can do. God is infinitely big, and in your life, we will get to see and experience maybe one, one trillionth of one, of point zero 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 one percent of who God is and his greatness. And that is to say that we cannot come remotely close to fully understanding and comprehending who he is. In your life, you're going to learn and see and experience very little of the goodness and greatness and the love and the compassion and the mercy and the wisdom and the beauty of God. You're going to see so little. 
But do you know who's going to see what you haven't seen yet? The person sitting next to you. The people who are part of your spiritual family here at IGC. What you have witnessed, what you have experienced, what you have felt from the Lord, I bet you no one else has experienced that. But what can you do? You can say, this is what has happened. This is what I've seen of God. So think of yourselves this way. Think of yourselves as a telescope that your friends can look into so that they can be in awe of God because you have seen something that they, that they haven't. And think the same of your fellow church members as telescopes trained on the characteristics of God that you don't know nothing about, that you don't know enough about. And I think this is what David means when he says, magnify the Lord with me. Make a big deal of who God is, but there's so much we haven't seen yet. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he talks about this being, he includes this in the context of community. Let us exalt his name, not on your own, but exalt his name together. Your words and your life will magnify things about God that are small in other people's lives and vice versa. There are things that you will learn and experience that are not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of this church. What has God done in your life? What have you learned? What type of stuff have you gone through that was awful and terrible? And how has God been faithful to you in those times? Tell someone about it. If you are disconnected from Christian community, you will have a smaller view of God. It's to your detriment that you're not around other believers who can share what they know. And it's to the detriment of others that you don't speak Listen to these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book, Life Together. Um, This is a short book. I highly recommend that you find this book. Um, It'll take you a couple hours to read, but it's so good. This is one of the quotes from his book. But God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men or women. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. Listen to that again. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him or her. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother, man, as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's heart is sure. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. As such, God permits them to meet together and gives them community. David says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This is our responsibility, our obligation, our privilege as a church to speak to others what we know and to hear from others what they know. And this is something that we'll be able to put into practice on Wednesday. This is the together aspect of this week, of this passage. What binds us as a community, 
what binds us as a church is Christ alone. It's a common desire to bring honor to God. We can say with one voice, God is great and I will bless him. We need to hear each other. We need to speak to each other. On Wednesday, we're going to have three Zoom calls, three times for prayer, uh, one at 7 a.m., one at 12 noon, one at 8.30 p.m. And this is an opportunity for you to pray, to see the faces of other people. Um, And if you're unable to take part in those, um, you're going to at least know that there are other people alongside you fasting and praying throughout the day. We're going to do this together. Magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. Wednesday. This is what we're going to do. Our third point, we approach God with confidence. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This is David giving testimony to what God has done in his life. He looked for God. He was answered by God. He was rescued by God. And then he follows with these words, verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This person is not just happy. He's radiant. Imagine the happiest person you've ever seen. Maybe a bride on, on her wedding day or a parent after they've given, they've given birth to a child or whatever that someone has wanted their whole life. They finally get it. That is a tiny picture of radiance. It does not hold a candle to the radiance that David speaks of in verse 5 because what have they looked at? Not their groom or their bride, not their child, not some beautiful spectacle of nature. They looked at the very face of God, and what happened? Their faces are radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This is not a pride thing, but this is a confidence thing. They can look ahead. They do not need to be cast down on the ground anymore. And who are those who are ra- who are radiant? Verse 17 The righteous, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The righteous. So I've got bad news for you. Um, You're probably not righteous on your own. Neither am I. But how can it be? How can this psalm be true to us? Who are the righteous? Look at verses 19 through 22 with me again. I'm going to read them. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers out of them all. The condition is you have to be righteous if you want to be delivered from your troubles. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There are two parties here. One of them will be condemned. The other will not be condemned. The righteous will not be condemned. The unrighteous will be condemned. The bad news is that, left on your own, you are the unrighteous. As we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism earlier, we deserve eternal punishment, both body and soul, because we are unrighteous. But our hope today, our hope for all eternity is that there is a righteous one. Except this righteous one was condemned. This righteous one looked to the Father, and the Father turned his face away. This righteous one was put to death. His prayers were not answered. 
And this is how this psalm can be true for us. That we will be delivered. That God will hear us. Who was condemned? The Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So that when we trust in him, when we follow him, when we put all our trust and faith in him, we become the righteous. We are righteous if we are in Christ. We are loved. We are cared for. We are shepherded. And this is how we can approach God with confidence because Jesus stepped in in our place on the cross. Hebrews 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Again, Indelible Grace Church, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I bet you can think of all the terrible things you've done this week. I bet you can think of all the ways you've been distracted and have, have, have sinned against God. And still you can approach God with confidence because your righteousness is not in yourself. Your righteousness is in Christ and he is always standing there for you. He's always working on your behalf. We can approach God with confidence right now on Wednesday. And finally, we approach God in anticipation. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever really looked forward to something? Um, let me tell you about a time that I really looked forward to something. I, um, I met, I've mentioned my sister-in-law, Lauren, here a couple times. Um, she is super uh, athletic. She's training for a triathlon right now, um, like a real triathlon where she's running a um, full marathon, and uh, she's doing the whole 100-plus biking uh, portion, and she's going to swim the 2-point-something miles in the water. Um, legit triathlon. And uh, one time I went mountain biking with her right here around Lake Chabot, and uh, I thought that I would be okay because... At this time, when I did it, I was in decent shape. I had all the gear. I had like a, I was borrowing someone's um, mountain bike. Um, it was a roadworthy mountain bike. I was even wearing the shorts that my my brother, you know, the the tight shorts with the padding on the crotch. And um, I was like, I'm gonna follow my sister-in-law, and uh, we're gonna go around this uh, the Lake Chabot. And the whole thing was about three and a half hours, and I was dying around minute thirty. And you know, when I started getting really tired, I started thinking about Oreos. I was thinking, <laughs> this Cliff Bar isn't going to do it for me. This Gatorade is not going to do it for me. I need Oreos. And for it was an awful experience, honestly. I don't recommend that you do it if you're not uh, the mountain biking type. Um, for three and a half hours, I was biking, and I was dying. And the whole time, I was thinking about Oreos. And I finally got back to her mom's house, and there were not Oreos, but there was something else. There was um, uh, clam linguine. Um, it was so good. It was not Oreos, but it was good. But what I remember from this time is there was such a deep longing for food, good food, food that had a lot of calories and fat and sugar. That was what I was anticipating. 
What have you anticipated in your life? It might be a food. It might be uh, maybe one day you're going to marry a certain person. Maybe one day you're going to have this type of family or this type of life or this type of whatever it is, your car or whatever. You know what it is to anticipate something. And so does David and the psalmist. And he's inviting us to experience something better than anything that we can imagine, better than Oreos, better than your life. Verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is what we're going to be doing this week. We're going to be anticipating what God has for us. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who fear God have no lack. We recognize who God is. We recognize our position before him. We recognize that we're sinners before a holy God, that we cannot demand anything from him, and yet he gives us everything. Psalm 84, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And this is why we lack no good thing. Because God doesn't give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. On Wednesday, if you're fasting and praying with us, you're going to want food. You're going to want something to fill your belly. You're going to want something to distract you from your hunger. But God is going to give you, he's going to give us what we need, whatever it is. But as we do this, we can taste and see that the Lord is good, at least a little bit. And one day we will be singing with everyone else. We will be worshiping with all the believers that God really is good, that I've tasted and seen that he is good. I have seen and I will tell of others that this is who God is. He's worth trusting. He's worth giving our lives to. He's worth investing your life into. He's worth fasting and praying for on Wednesday. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're not going to taste and see that food is good on Wednesday. We're going to taste and see that Jesus is good. We're going to be singing two songs in response to what God has spoken to us through his word. And pay attention to the words that we're singing. When we sing on Sundays, um, these aren't just fillers for our time. We're actually singing words to the God of the universe. This is one of the songs, Psalm 90. When the sun comes up, satisfy us. Before the day has passed us by, before our hearts forget all your goodness, we will forget his goodness. I do. But God, remind me, God, satisfy us with your love. And then we're going to sing another song that we sang earlier. We're going to sing it again. Come find what this world cannot offer. Come and find your joy here complete. Taste the living water, never thirst again. Rest here in his wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfied, he is all that I need. May it be, come what may, that I will rest all my days in the goodness of Jesus. May this be true of us. Will you pray with me? Father, um, we submit to you. We're going to be submitting to you even more on Wednesday. Um, God, satisfy us with your love. And I pray that you would show us where we need to go as a church. I pray that you would equip us with all that we need as a church, God. Uh, We ask this in the name of Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.